Amen. Thank you, worship team. Certainly appreciate your ministry. God uses you in a fantastic way, and we're thankful for you. Seems as though the theme of the worship service so far has been the name of Jesus and the Spirit of God. <laughs> and uh, I, I love all those songs that we sang this morning, such powerful worship unto the Lord. And they're powerful because everything that we're singing in those songs, it finds its foundation in the Word of God. I mean, you know, that's what makes anything powerful. That what, that's what makes any song powerful. That what, that's what makes any message powerful is when it finds its foundation in the Word of God and it's delivered in the power of the Spirit of God. And um, just like what we were singing this morning, um, by your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. Do you know the only way we can ever overcome anything in this world, whether it be Satan or sin or self or whatever, situations, the only way we can ever overcome anything in this world is through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, if we're going to be effective as the people of God, if we're really going to be what he saved us to be, we must be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't just go through the motions and be effective. We can't just get by in our ability and actually be and do what God has called us to be and do. It takes the power of God the Holy Spirit working on us, working in us, and working through us to accomplish his will and purpose. And so I love that song that Joe was singing. She, in that it's really a prayer, and it's talking about how that um, may the Spirit of the Lord be uh, beside you and go before you and be in you and be with you and, and, and at all times, in all places. That's what we have to have. That's what we're going to have this morning. See, folks, for anything to truly be effective in what we do here, in the songs we sing or the message we preach or, or anything, it has to be motivated by the power of of the Spirit of God. It has to be. That, that has to be what drives us. That has to be what leads guides and directs us. It cannot be just in our ability, but in His power. So thank you, brother, for those songs. Uh, great job today, all of you. So, so thankful for how the Lord uses you. Now take your Bibles, if you will, please. Turn with me to John chapter number 7. Now many of you know for the last few weeks, we've been in a series of messages entitled The I Am Statements. And what I mean by that is that Jesus made seven I am statements throughout the book of John. And those I am statements we've said before tells us two things about who he is. First of all, it tells us his person. It tells us who the Lord Jesus really is according to the truth of God's word. Jesus, when he says two words in these statements, I am, is making the claim to be deity. Um, we remember, uh, or you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about how the words I am that Jesus used in all the statements that we've looked at so far in John 14 and in John chapter 10, and we're going to look at several more, uh, at, uh, five more at least, but um, folks, though, that, those two words I am was the same words used all the way back in Exodus chapter 3 when the Lord spoke to Moses through the burning bush, when Moses was standing there and God says, look, I want you to go and lead my people out of bondage in Egypt and bring them unto the place of blessing in Canaan land. And Moses said, Lord, I can't do this. What am, who am I going to say sent me when I go and tell Pharaoh to let the, let the people go? The people will never believe me. Who am I going to tell them sent me to lead them? And he said, you tell them the great I am sent you to, to, lead, to lead them out. And so that's the same word Jesus uses 
right here in all of these I am statements in the book of John. So he's making the claim to be deity. Now that's not the only time he does so. Not just through these statements, but over and over and over and over again. John chapter 8, he said, before Abraham was, I am. So what's he making the claim to be? He's making the claim to be before Abraham. He's making the claim that, listen, he didn't just become God when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, but he's always been God since the, before the beginning in the garden. There's never been a time that he hasn't been God. That's the claim he's making. As a matter of fact, if you ever hear a liberal theologian tell you that um, Jesus never claimed to be deity, you can rest assured that they've never read the New Testament. He says it over and over and over again, not just in these seven I am statements, but in many other places. Now, what is amazing to me is that not only did he claim to be deity, but he proved his deity in the things he did. He put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. I mean, he went out and did things that only God could do. I was, had the great privilege yesterday of preaching Miss Eulene Taylor's funeral. I asked that you be praying for her family. She went to be with the Lord Friday evening. Many of you remember Brother Erskine and Miss Eulene, and Eulene passed this past Friday. And, and, and as I was preaching to them, I was preaching on the man Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, the Bible says in, in John chapter 3, he came to Jesus by night and he said, We know that you art come from God because nobody is doing the things that you're doing. Nobody can do the things that you're doing. See, Nicodemus saw Jesus healing blinded eyes, and he saw Jesus unstopping deaf ears, and he saw Jesus causing lame legs to walk and raising up dead people, and he heard about him walking on water and feeding 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. See, this is stuff only God can do. So why was Jesus doing it? Because he's God. He made the claim, then he proved the claim, ultimately proving it in his own resurrection. I've just got this, I like Frank Turek. I heard him say something here a while back that blessed my heart. He said, I've just got this principle in my life. If a man tells me, predicts he's going to be killed, then predicts he's going to rise again from the grave, and then he does it, I'm just going to trust him. I like that. If he tells me how he's going to die, when he's going to die, but by, by, by the hands of who he is going to die, then all of that comes to pass. He dies, was buried in a tomb, and then three days later he rose again. I'm just going to trust him as God. Jesus made the claim and proved the claim. Amazing. He is the I am God. The ever-existing, eternal God of the universe. He's not the I was God or the I will be God, but he's the God of the now. He's the God of your moment. He's the God of my moment. He's the God of this moment. Can you say amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now listen to me. He was God incarnate in the flesh. He is now God glorified sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. That's my Jesus. That's who we're talking about. That's what all this is about. If it's not about him, I don't want to be about this. Praise the Lord. It's got to be about Jesus. He's the one who makes the difference. So this morning, I want to continue with that, so to speak. And, 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 um, and, but I want to go to say just one other thing concerning this, these I am statements telling us who he is. Because something that I probably, I've heard in, in the past, and maybe you've heard it as well, you'll hear people say, well, I don't believe Jesus was really God, but I do believe that he was a great teacher. I do believe he was a great prophet. 
And um, the truth is, folks, you, you can't really do that. You can't do that logically, reasonably, say that Jesus was just a great teacher or just a prophet with him making the claims that he made. See, you can't just tip your hat to Jesus. You either have to trust him as God the Son and the Son of God, or you have to reject him. That's how he uh, speaks when he uh, tells these people, if you believe in me, you can have life, and if you don't believe in me, you're going to have death. You, you can't just say he was a great moral teacher. You must, if you're going to be born again, trust him as God. I, I've got a quote this morning. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this best in Mere Christianity, and I want to encourage you, if you've never read the book, Mere Christianity. Man, pick you up a copy. I've got an extra one that I'll actually give you if you want to read it. I promise you it'll be life-changing for you. Other than the Bible, it's probably uh, the book that I've grown more in my faith because of the, the book, Mere Christianity. But listen how he puts this. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people say about Jesus, about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Watch how he puts it. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with patronizing nonsense about this, his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Again, you must make your decision. I must make my decision. The truth is, the Bible says in Philippians that God has given him a name which is exalted above every name, that at the name of Jesus, all heaven and earth will one day bow. Amen? Now, you can choose to bow now, or you can choose to bow later, but we're all going to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He's the I am God. Now, then he tells us with the rest of the statements what he came to do. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter number 10, we looked at it last week. He says, I am the good shepherd. We're going to look next week, and he says in John chapter number 6, I am the bread of life. Then we're going to see in John chapter 8 where he says, I love this one. I am the light of the world. Then we're going to see the door, where he says in John 10, I'm the door of the sheep. Then we're going to see in John 15, he says, I, can, I am the true vine. And then in John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who he is, he's the I am God, and what he came to do. Now what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning, you probably noticed that I didn't mention John chapter 7 in the I am statements. However, Jesus makes a statement here about who he is and what he came to do that we cannot ignore. We must take a really close look at. In John chapter 7 verses 37 and 38, Jesus says he is the water of life. Now he don't specifically say I am the water of life, therefore we can't call it an I am statement, but he does imply that and later on proves that. So let's look what the Bible tells us. John chapter 7 verse 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. He that believeth on me, 
as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow living water. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for who you are. Lord, I'm thankful this morning that you are everything we need. Lord Jesus, you are the God of all creation. You are our Savior. You are right now making intercession for us. Lord, we praise you for who you are. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good, good Father. I'm thankful this morning that you love us. And because you love us, you've shown us grace and mercy. Holy Spirit, you are our sustainer, our teacher, our God, and our comforter. And we're asking you, Lord, today to be just exactly who you are in our life. Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you fill me up, that you pour me out. In the, in the presence of this people so that your word might go forth. We understand and realize we can do nothing without you. And Lord, we don't need just another meeting today. We need a fresh anointing today. We need a fresh touch today that changes us to be more like you. May we be different when we leave than we were when we came. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and for your sake. Amen. Jesus is making the statement here that he is the water of life. He is the one who can satisfy the thirsty soul. And I'm telling you folks, I found that to be true in my own life. Jesus tells us who he is and he makes all the statements and the claims he makes throughout the New Testament. But right here he tells us what he does. And so to really figure out what Jesus does, we got to really think about what water does because that's the comparison that he's making. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I'll give you the living water that makes all the difference. The living water that will absolutely change you from the inside all the way to the outside. Can you say amen? Now, I'm thankful for that this morning. I'm thankful that, listen to me, folks, I'm not where I used to be. Can you say amen? I was telling the folks yesterday in John chapter 3 and verse number 17, the Bible says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you know God is not in the business of condemning you? Do you know God the Father is no longer mad at you? A lot of people think God's mad at me, God's forgot about me, God can't use me, God don't want me. Listen, God is not mad at you for he took out all his anger and all his wrath and he put it on his son at the cross. God's not mad at you. God doesn't want to condemn you. Jesus came for the purpose of saving you. Praise God. I'm making you new. I'm glad that he didn't condemn me for if there was ever anybody that needed condemning, it was me. A drug addicted, hateful, selfish, prideful human being who thought he knew everything and knew nothing. Who thought he had the world by the tail and did not realize he is lost and undone. I'm so thankful I'm not where I used to be. And it's all because of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all because I took a drink of this living water. And it's made all the difference in my life. And it continues to make a difference in my life. Praise God I'm not where I used to be. I'm certainly not where I, I need to be or where I'm yet going to be. But praise the Lord I'm not where I used to be. And it's all because the living water. It's all because he made the difference. Amen. What does water do? 
Water does at least four things that I want to give you this morning. First and foremost, water sanctifies. To sanctify means to be cleaned up and set apart for a purpose. Jesus says, I am the water of life. I am the one who can and will and does sanctify those who come to me. He cleans us up. He makes us new in Christ. And that just makes sense to me. Just a few months ago, I was down at my mama's house, and um, she was cleaning out some of the stuff in the basement that were, was actually me and my brothers when we were living at home. And, and she had a box over there with some of my stuff in it, and I looked over, and she picked up a, a, a little brown teddy bear about that big, and it had a big red heart right here on its chest. And she said, do you remember this? And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I just got a warm, fuzzy feeling when I seen that old teddy bear. I called him Earl. That was his name. I loved Earl, still love Earl, if I'm honest. I didn't know it until I seen him the other day. But Earl, <laughs> Earl, me and Earl have been together for a long time. I got him in the first grade. And she said, do you remember that? I said, yeah, Lord, yes, I remember that. And I picked him up, man, squeezed him and hugged him good. We ain't seen each other in a long time. And I, I thought back to when I got Earl for the first day. I, I remember I was in Miss Lawler's first grade classroom. And the ladies from the health department came down to the class, and they began teaching us about the importance of washing your hands properly, thoroughly. And they said, if you don't wash your hands like you need to, then you're going to get germs on your hands, and then you're going to put those hands around your mouth, and then you're going to get the germs in your mouth, and you're going to get sick. So you need to wash your hands thoroughly and properly. You need to clean them up. And he said, the right way to do that is with water and soap. Why? Because water sanctifies in the natural, can you say, men? No doubt about it. Take some water and some soap. And she said, what I'm going to do today, we're going to have a little contest. And whoever can um, make the biggest bubbles with the soap I put in your hand, you're going to be the one who wins the contest. And I got a prize for you. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I've struggled with this in my past, and I'm better about it now, but I'm a very competitive person. Very. I mean, I don't care if we're playing checkers or tiddlywinks or... Um, I spy. I don't care what we're playing. If we're playing, I'm playing to win. I mean, I take it pretty serious. And again, I'm a lot better than I used to. I mean, there, there have been times that I almost shut the whole family reunion down because things didn't go my way in a card game. You know what I'm saying? So I, the Lord's worked on me with that. The Lord's worked on me with that. I'm not as bad as I used to be. But at that time, I was really bad. And I was really competitive. And so we uh, put the hot bars, warm water on our hands, and, and we're waiting on the soap. And, and man, and just as soon as she put that soap in my hand, I started rubbing them things. I was just wearing it out. Put a little more water. Got a little more soap. And before you knew it, I had suds just falling off my hands. And I won Earl that day. Now listen to me. Why am I telling you that story? Because I want you to understand water truly does sanctify. It cleans you up. The only difference from what those nurses were telling me then and what I'm telling you now, they were saying, wash your hands, get all the germs off so you won't get sick. I'm telling you this morning, Jesus, the water of life, washes us because we are sick. See, the Bible says we came here sin sick. We came here standing in need of a Savior. And the Bible says because of our sin that we were born into, we were eternally separated from God apart from Christ. 
Something had to change. Our sin separated us from the Holy God. We had no hope. And the Bible says we were without God in this world apart from Jesus. That's my condition. And that's your condition without Christ. That was my condition pre-Jesus. I was sin sick. I'm telling you, a lot of people think you've got to do a whole lot of bad stuff to become a sinner. No, all you've got to do to become a sinner is take your first breath. You came here a sinner, born with a sinful nature. Later on, that sinful nature began to be evident in your life. You started making sinful choices and doing wrong things. You began to see that you truly had the nature of Papa Adam who fell in the garden to sin and then sin was passed down generation to generation to generation all the way down to you and I, all the way down to the newest baby that just been born so that when we came into this world, we came here needing a Savior because we came here sinners by nature. Amen? We're sinners by nature. We're sinners in action. We're sinners in attitude. I'm telling you, folks, my thoughts alone are enough sometimes to send me to hell. How about you? Really is. We need Jesus. We need some water that'll clean us up. The Bible says, Jesus, the water of life, died on a cross. The Bible says, Jesus shed his blood. For the remission of sins. Where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The perfect, holy Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Himself, went to the cross and shed His blood so that my sins could be washed clean. So that your sins could be washed clean. Let me give you some scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 11. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the 11th verse. And such were some of you. Let's go back to, to let's, let's just back up to verse number 8. I want to get all of it. Nay, you do wrong and defraud and that for your brethren. Verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, effeminate means um, those who are living the homosexual lifestyle. Verse number 10. He says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch what he says though in verse number 11. He makes it clear that all of these things that he mentioned, was, that, that's unrighteousness. That's not what God wants. And then he says, verse number 11, and such were. Everybody say were. I'm telling you. You can run down the list that he just gave in these previous two verses and look at every single one of those sins that he, he outlines for us there. And I'm telling you, none of them, none of them are outside the ability of the grace of God to make you new in Christ. None of them have stained your soul so much that the blood of Christ can't wash the stain clean. He says such were some of you. The, the you he's talking to are those in the church. The, the now blood-bought, born-again believers. Those who've trusted in Jesus, the blood of Christ has been applied to their heart and life, and their sins have been washed clean. You were washed, but ye are sanctified. There's the word. It was through the washing of the blood of Christ, amen, that sanctifies you, cleans you up, and sets you apart. But ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus. Watch this. By the Spirit of our God. Isn't that good? Jesus 
washes us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He washes us clean. He is the water of life. Can you say amen to that? Water sanctifies. Let me give you something else. Water sustains. It sustains. What I mean by this, Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says something that we all need to take note of. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know you not that they which run in a race, you run all of it. He compares the Christian walk, the Christian life to a race that you're running. And he says, if you run a race, run all the race. And run the race with purpose. Look how he says it. But one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He said, if you want to become a master racer, if you want to become a racer that's winning races and doing what you need to do to win the prize, he said, you've got to be temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now praise the Lord. Listen to me. This race that we're running, this Christian life we're living, we need to run so that we might win. We need to live so that we might obtain the crown of righteousness that Jesus will give to all of those who live lives pleasing unto him while we were here. Amen. We do not earn our salvation. We are given our salvation by grace through faith. But after we are saved, after we are saved, we work to please the Lord. We perfectly purpose every day to become what God wants us to be. Brother Kyle did a great job this morning. He's talking about, you know, that, that none of us are perfect. And he's exactly right. None of us are perfect. But he said something in there. What we need to do every day, every day, is make it our goal to please the Lord in all we do. We're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But we can perfectly purpose every day to walk with the Lord, to live for the Lord, to run the race in a way that's pleasing unto him, not as one that just is going through the motions, but like we're running to win. Now, I'm thankful that the water of life sustains us. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you. Back last year, uh, when was it, Brother Don? Uh, October? In October, me and Brother Don Brooks went and run a race called a Spartan Race. All right? Now, this Spartan Race was 6.2 miles, had 28 different obstacles in it. And really, I misspoke when I said before. Brother Don Brooks went to run a race. I was just tagging along to see if I could make it through the whole thing. I, I really wasn't running. I was, just, I was just along for the ride. Now, this brother out here, I'd be looking over at him, man. I was just about to... Let me tell you how this thing starts out. You start out with a 100-yard dash. It's as fast as you can go to some hay bales. Round hay bales, you've got to climb over. You get over the hay bales, go another, I don't know, probably a quarter of a mile to two miles up the side of a mountain, run down into a valley. When you get in the valley, you've got to climb three walls. You've got to jump over these walls. One is as higher than the next. Or, or, or one is, um, um, each one goes higher as you go in these three walls. And so then after you do that, you run up the mountain. And when I, I saw, I don't know how to say it. You just run up a mountain, you know. And I'm looking over at this brother, and I'm just about to pass out, I'm telling you, by this time. And we're not even a mile in yet. He looks like he's on a Sunday stroll through the park. 
I mean, he's, just, he's talking, laughing, cutting up, man. He ain't even broke a sweat yet, and I'm already about to die. See, I could tell this brother right here runs to win. I'm just running to make it. I'm just running to get by. All right? Now, one thing I was so thankful for, at the mile point, there were some ladies with a big table and a whole lot of water and Gatorade. I'm telling you. You're talking about my saving grace. If I hadn't had a little water at that time, I know I was going to be down for the count. I put that water in my body and felt so much better for about, 40, about 45 seconds. <laughs> and then I had to wait to the next mile, right? And see if I could get me some more water. What, what I'm trying to say is, in this Christian life that we're living, in this race that we're running, you're going to get tired. You're going to get wore out. I tell, I've told you before, I don't get tired of the work of the Lord, but I get tired in the work of the Lord. You're going to get discouraged. There's going to be times you're going to feel defeated. There's going to be times when you get sick of people. Never, ever, ever put your eyes on man, because if you do, you're going to be disappointed. If you're doing what you're doing for the kingdom of God for men, you're not going to do it long, because you're going to get disappointed in men, me included me included. You'll, you'll be disappointed in me because I'm not always going to be what I need to be. I'm still growing like everybody else. So don't put your eyes on men. You're going to get disappointed if you do. I'm telling you, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus and I can promise you he will sustain you even in the tough times. Sometimes I get sick of people. Sometimes I get sick of myself. I get sick of myself more than I get sick of people just to be honest. Myself is the one that gives me the most trouble. Like I was telling you a while ago, my thoughts alone sometimes are enough to send me to hell. Sometimes I'll just be walking around, I get these thoughts in my head, and I'll think, Lord, I'm so sorry, I know you, I know, you know what I'm thinking. Where did that even come from? How did that even happen? How about you? That ever happened to you? No, I know none of it. That don't happen to none of y'all. Right? But it does to me from time to time. I told you before, folks, if I could take my thoughts sometimes and just put them up on that big screen, you probably wouldn't let me preach next Sunday. However, if I could take your thoughts and put them up on that screen, I'd have a whole lot more to preach about next Sunday. We're all in the same boat, ain't we? Listen, sometimes we have problems from without. Sometimes we have problems from within. And I'm so thankful in the middle of a race, the water of life sustains us. Amen? Let me give you another one. Do you know Jesus, the water of life, satisfies us? He satisfies us. He makes all the difference. When you're out on a hot summer day, and I'm telling you, you've been mowing that grass. Brother, you've been mowing that grass on a hot summer, and um, you've been out there on that weed eater, and you're sweating, your mouth's dry, feel like you're chewing on cotton balls. Let me ask you something. What quenches your thirst best? Well, absolutely. You, you know, you can go in and you can get you an old... Uh, um, Soft drink of some kind, you, you name it, whatever you like. And, and you can take you a drink of that, and it may feel just like it hit the right spot when it's going down. But, you know, for me, about five minutes after I drink it, guess what happens? Thirsty again. Thirsty again. It does not quench your thirst. Let me tell you why. It's got a whole lot of artificial sweeteners, a whole lot of artificial ingredients. 
It's not the thing that was meant to quench the thirst, really. What was meant to quench our thirst as human beings is good old water. That makes all the difference. You get you a good glass of cold water that will sustain you, just like I was talking about running that race. It gets you back on, 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 the, on the trail again, gets you back ready to do what you need to do. That's what Jesus does. He, he, as a water of life, he, he, he sustains, but he also satisfies. He satisfies. He gives us exactly what we need to fill that emptiness in our soul. Um, Billy Graham the great evangelist from years gone by. He said that inside the heart of every single human being is a Jesus-shaped hole, a Jesus-shaped vacuum. And he said there's absolutely nothing that can fit that Jesus-shaped hole except Jesus. And so many times we try to fill that hole with everything the world has to offer. And the world offers um, contentment. The world offers um, all the things that, 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 that claim to make you happy. And some people think, well, I tell you what I need. I just need more power. I need to climb up the, the social ladder. And that's going to get me where I need to be and make me feel like I need to feel. I no longer realize that emptiness on the inside. And so they do all they can to get more power. And then when they get there, they realize a lot of times power makes you more empty than anything you can possess. And so a lot of people think, well, I tell you what I need, I need more possessions. I need more stuff. I'm going to make more money. And if I could just do that, I'll, I'll finally be happy. If I could just make a million a year or, or two million a year, then I know I could be where I need to be. But what they don't realize, when they get all that money, this comes with it more problems. A lot of people say, well, I'll tell you what, I need, I need another person. I need a, if I could just get him to be my husband or her to be my wife, if I could just get with that right person, then you know what? I'd be, have it just like I like it. And then they get that person and they find out that's not at all what they really needed. In many cases, wanted. Now, let me say something. Nothing wrong with having power, working hard and climbing the, Ladder of success, that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with having possessions, having stuff. Matter of fact, nothing wrong with having stuff. The problem is when your stuff has you. That's what makes all the difference. Nothing wrong with having money, but you shouldn't love money. A lot of people misquote that verse. They say that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the verse says. The verse says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's neutral. Money can be good and it can be bad. Amen? I'm all for making all the money you can. I tell you what, I'd rather have money as not have it. That's why I'm going to work tomorrow, the next day. That's why we do these things. So I'm saying, nothing wrong with having power or possessions or, or um, a person even. Praise God for my wife. So thankful for her. But let me tell you what I've realized. She'll never fulfill me. And I will never fulfill her. Completely. It takes Jesus to complete me. It takes Jesus to complete her. And as I, who have been completed by Jesus, who have been satisfied by the water of life, as, as I grow closer to him, and as she, who's been completed by Jesus, who's been satisfied by the water of life, as she grows closer to him, guess what happens? We grow closer together. I wish I had my board out here, I'd show you, but I usually draw the, the triangle. And you know, you put Jesus at the top, and you put the husband on one side of the triangle, the wife on the right, other side of the triangle, and as we both grow closer to Jesus, we grow closer to one another.
That's how this works. He's the one who satisfies. Young people, work hard. Be successful. Do all you can do and be all you can be. But I'm going to tell you something. You remember true satisfaction, true contentment, true peace. Life is found in the water of life. Abundant life is in him. He's what makes all the difference. A lot of people say, well, I just need a party. I tried that too. I've been there. Folks, it only lasts for a little while and causes you more heartache than you can ever get out of yourself. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He is the water of life. He satisfies. Psalm 42 and 1. Listen how the psalmist put it here. I love this. He says, as the deer pants after the water, so my soul longs after thee. I used to hunt a whole lot. Not as much anymore. Hunt some, some still. but I remember when I'd be out hunting in my green field, we had a salt lick and we had um, different things in that field to attract the deer. And they would come in there and they'd paw the ground up, you know, trying to eat the salt. And they'd, they'd paw the ground up trying to eat the grain that we'd put out or whatever else we was attracting them in with. And, and when they would do that and paw that ground out, then it would rain and that out, that out there in the middle would fill up, you know, where they'd dug it out. And it'd be just a puddle of water standing there. And I remember sitting in that shooting house and those deer come out to, to my right side over here. And, and as soon as they came out in that field, they would look straight up that shooting house because they knew that's where I usually sit. They'd be checking me out, seeing if I was still in there. And they'd come out, and they'd look up there, and they'd stand there for a while, and they'd look, man, and make sure I wasn't moving. And they'd slowly creep across that field. They knew there was danger up here. They knew there was water over here. They were willing to face the danger to get to the water. What is David saying? As the deer thirsts for that water, that's how I pursue Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one who satisfies. He's the only one. He's the only one who can feel that longing deep down in our soul. The water of life sanctifies, sustains, satisfies. But let me get you, give you one more and I'm done. The water of life saturates. John chapter 7, verse number 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let me tell you what. The power of the Spirit of God living in, working on, and working through the child of God will do. It will saturate not only their life, but the lives around them. Do y'all love to be around spirit-filled people? I love it. I hunger for it. Dr. Johnny Mays, I'm hoping and praying that we're going to get him to come in the month of March and preach a one-day revival for us. When he comes around, I love just sitting and talking to that brother. I love just being around him because I sense the presence of God all over that man. And it's just a joy to sit and hear what God has done and what God is doing and the truth that just flows out of his mouth. It's a blessing to me. There's other mentors in my life, great men of God that I look up to and respect that I like just sitting around with and, 
and being vexed to. Let me tell you why. Because they've got this river of living water welling up on the inside of them and it's filling them up and then pouring out of their life. It saturates them and everything around them. It's such a blessing. Daddies, what kind of a difference could we make in our home if we are living spirit-filled lives so much so that the power and presence of God is flowing from us out into our home. Employees, how much of a difference could we make in our workplace if we are so filled with the Spirit of God that it's filling us up and pouring out and saturating everything around us where we work? Church member, what kind of a difference would it make on Sunday morning if we come in here filled up with the Spirit of God. And it's where He's working on us, working in us, filling us up and pouring us out in the lives of others. And it's saturating everybody on every pew. The water of life saturates. Jesus lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Let us allow Him to work on us, work in us, work through us, fill us up and pour us out so that we might saturate everything around us with the goodness of God so that the fruits of the Spirit might flow freely from our lives. Love, peace, joy, patience, faithfulness, goodness, all those fruits of the Spirit that the Bible mentions will be evident in our life when we put Him in complete control. Amen? Everybody stand up this morning. This is your invitation. If you're here today and you've not yet been sanctified, you've not yet been washed by the blood of Jesus, I want to share with you how you can do that by placing faith in Him. I'd love for you to come this morning.